0: When you hear the word spiritual, when you hear the word spiritual, what comes to mind? I'm just curious. Whatever comes to mind. When you hear the word spiritual, what comes to mind? Type of hymn. Type of hymn? Yeah. What, what would categorize a spiritual versus not a spiritual, Sean? I'm just curious.
1: That's such the songbook, and very. I would put this... Associated with a lot of times uh, the blacks coming out of slavery.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, songs. Certain songs are spiritual. Certain songs are labeled spirituals. We might not call other songs spirituals, but we might still sing them. Sure. Shine, Jesus, shine. I don't really see it, think of that as a spiritual, but it's a spiritual song. Yeah. What else? What do you think of when you hear the word spiritual? Yeah. Characteristic of God, yeah. Anybody else? Anything outside of
2: physical.
0: Something that's outside of physical, right? Yeah, something beyond that.
2: Whether it be just
0: Christianity or other ideas. Yeah, yeah, good point there, Ryan. It doesn't, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be a Christian spiritual thing.
1: Spiritual
0: realm. What? What's that, Mike?
1: Spiritual realm. Realm. Spiritual realm.
0: Spiritual realm. That's right. Yeah. Spiritual realm. Yeah. That's. Uh, that goes along very well with what Ryan was saying there, where we, there's something beyond just what we can see, right? Yeah. How many of you have ever heard anybody say this before? I'm spiritual, but not religious. Yeah. Spiritual, but not religious. What does that mean? Well, it means they're not either. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, that's a good point. Yeah, they're probably not really either. Yeah. Spiritual, but not religious. I had a, I had a friend in grad school tell me, that he was religious but not spiritual. <laughs> thought, That's a funny way to look at that. There is um there's kind of perennial interest in spiritual things. If somebody tells you that they're into spirituality but they don't like organized religion, right? That means that a lot of times they have a the vague sense of something out there, right? There's just something out there, kind of vague. Yeah. yeah oh that's a good point uh that's a good point my wife is a physical therapist that's her main training she works uh, for the uh, for the children's ministry uh also and uh, she sees patients on the computer through telehealth and uh, she had a patient who was uh, asking, you know, just in, in the process of you know, working with a the patient, there's uh, always some degree of small talk. And she got, to, um, she got to talking with this patient, and the patient asked, you know, you know, what does your husband do? And she said, well, he's a minister at a church. And that's, that's always been a good way for Linnea to be able to introduce talking about spiritual things with her physical therapy patients. Well, her patient said that uh, she was she was not any particular religion, but she was increasingly convinced that there was something more out there than just nothing, and so she was going to uh, start taking a very deep dive into all world religions to try to find what made sense for her, well, you know, because... It, because Linnea can't evangelize in her practice as a physical therapist. She just had to you know, kind of smile and nod and you know, give some general affirmation that searching is a good thing. But I thought that that captured uh, the spirit of a lot of people today. Um, there's something out there, but not necessarily, they're not necessarily sure what it is. Now, in a Christian context, when a Christian hears the word spiritual, We've talked about a spiritual realm. We've talked about how it's a characteristic of God. Um, <clears throat> it may be a type of song we sing. When Christians hear the word spiritual, what else comes to mind? What was that, Terry? Communication with, C- communication with God. That's right. Yeah, we are, um, yeah, prayer is a means of spiritual communication. Jerry, what did you say? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Why does God give us the Holy Spirit? What's the purpose of that? So he be around us all the time. He can be around us all the time. Good. Guidance. Guidance. Yeah.
1: He's called a
0: comforter. Called a comforter. That's right.
1: He intercedes for us when we pray to
0: God. Intercedes for us when we pray to God. Yeah, that's right. Anything else? What does the Holy Spirit do within the life of the believer? Tells them how to walk. Yes? Well, and this can go back to the way the eternal is used in the Bible as
2: both an adjective and an adverb. It doesn't always refer to a length of time. It refers to a quality of life. Mm-hmm. We're given a peace of God, and that brings us the
0: peace and everything, the quality yeah. of being with Christ. Yeah, good point, Ryan. It's kind of compared to a,
3: a conscience. It makes us conscious the Holy Spirit says, hey, I'm good over here, bad, Hey, which shoulder are you on?
0: Yeah.
1: It convicts us. Helps us yeah. to be more obedient.
0: Yeah, and, and that goes back to what was said earlier about guiding us, Gene. We're, yeah. More
3: conscious of, of being aware. Yeah. Of the
0: good. Anybody remember hearing the phrase "Let your conscience be your guide"? Oh, yeah, okay. maybe. <laughs> maybe uh, sometimes that's okay. Sometimes uh, if you are. Depending on how depraved you are, (laughs) that might be good or bad advice, yeah. The Holy Spirit also generates within us the fruit of the Spirit. Ryan particularly mentioned peace. The Holy Spirit generates the fruit of the Spirit, and it makes us more like Jesus. The Spirit is also intimately connected with this idea of life in the Bible. The spirit of God hovers over the waters of Genesis chapter one verses one and two that he 's there and it's this it 's the spirit of God that 's there that begins bringing life and beauty and peace and goodness out of all this stuff that 's uh, null and void or wild and waste that's a good way to understand when um, yeah, you know, when in Genesis one, when uh, when the when the Bible talks about how there's there's stuff there, but there's nothing really there, right? How many of you have been through West Texas? Okay, yeah, there's stuff there, right? But there's nothing really there. Okay, all right, you get it. Well, that's kind of how the world was when you know, in Genesis one, God creates the heavens and the earth. There's stuff there, but then God starts taking the stuff. He makes the stuff. There's nothing. There's, there's nothing really to it. And then he begins shaping it. And the Holy Spirit's right there, intimately connected with the whole process of bringing life and peace and beauty and, and goodness out of this stuff that's just wild and waste. Guess what, friends? It's the same in us. It's the same in us. Holy Spirit is also what raised Jesus from the dead, according to Romans chapter 8 verse 11. See, a lot of people misunderstand what Christianity is all about. And I hope my wife's patient will recognize this when she begins her study of Christianity. I hope she realizes that what Christianity is about, it's not about making bad people good. The gospel is about making dead people live. And I think for a long time, Christianity has has been built incorrectly. It's not just about... You know, maybe your good days will outweigh your bad days and you try not to cuss too much right you might drink a little less it's so much more it's so much more than just behavior modification the gospel is about making dead people live and with that in mind paul opens his letter to the church in ephesus one of the largest cities in the roman empire and he opens the letter with this majestic statement of what God has done through Jesus for believers. Now for some new Christians, you might have some new Christians in here, and even for those of us who have been Christians for a while, which I know we have some people who are what you call veteran Christians in here. It might be difficult to keep just keep straight exactly how you know, like what all right, what does God do and how does Jesus fit in all that and what does the Holy Spirit do? I feel like traditionally churches of christ have a pretty good idea of what god and jesus do how many of you who grew up in churches of christ heard a lot about the holy spirit in your churches show of hands anybody if you grew up in churches of christ wasn't Wasn't talked about because the holy Holy spirit was kind of scary (laughs) for some folks sure we at least where i grew up heard about the holy spirit but i i didn't hear very much maybe in the church that you grew up in whether you grew up in churches of christ or any other kind of church maybe what you grew up hearing was all the things that the holy spirit didn't do right and maybe not so much about what the holy spirit does do well to help us maybe piece together what it is that how does god operate and how does jesus fit into that and where on earth does the holy spirit work in there let me offer you this formula that for most of the time i think this is pretty helpful this comes from a professor of mine in grad school very sharp guy, very sharp guy named dr mark Pell. yeah yeah gene what's up uh
3: does the bible tell us that christ even told that he would send another energy exactly like christ
0: it's, he does talk about sending the helper which is another way to describe the holy spirit
3: but didn't it say
0: Sure, yeah. In the way
3: part of him did. But uh, uh, that's kind of the way I always thought that the Holy Spirit and Christ were like brother and sister or two brothers, uh, twins.
0: Yeah. Gene, I'm not, I'm
3: not sure that's uh, exactly yeah. right. I know there are things that they do that are different. Twins do things that are different. Sure. But they're still, uh, twins.
0: Yeah jesus uh jesus compares himself with uh god in the sense that you know father and son he doesn't give us any kind of familial metaphor for the holy spirit and uh, so i'm i'm not sure if i i I think i know what you mean by by you know twins meaning that the they operate similarly um but i i wouldn't necessarily want to to go that route with the Gene. If you can come up with book, chapter, and verse later, we might be able to might be able to talk about that. Yeah, Ralph. So, so I, in my mind, and reading
1: the very opening uh, sentence of the Bible, uh, in the beginning God created, and, and I'm I'm not educated in the Greek or Hebrew, but what I have
3: read that Elohim is the word for God there. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, so there is a, a plurality of of this this being Elohim. Yeah, being,
0: um, yeah.
1: God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is, is how I interpret that. That's right. And and the Holy Spirit then, as you say, hovered over the waters, so He was present, physically or spiritually present at at the creation. On, on earth and yet he seems to to come and go throughout all of the scriptures. He seems to be there at times and then not there at times. He came to Christ at his baptism and landed on his shoulder yeah. in the form of a dove and then Christ sends him mm-hmm. as the helper or comforter and then in Acts the very beginning says that that he will be here to give you instruction yeah. In the apostles. So I, I don't know that he's a twin to Christ, but he's certainly in the Elohim, right. which means he's in that being. Yeah. So they are they are together and they are in one spirit acting.
0: Yeah.
1: Their actions are are as one.
0: Now Ralph, I know you prefaced that whole comment by saying that by telling us how you weren't educated but then you gave us one of the most simple and eloquent definitions of the holy spirit that i've heard in a long time do you want to come up here and teach i've got my notes right here i think that's a good way to put it right uh, that's the holy spirit working through us right here yeah yeah mike yeah
2: yeah total mess, their lives were vulgar and their attitude towards women and their attitude towards how they dealt with people they were evil yeah and one time in college, I met a guy when he was a freshman who was a high school friend of my roommate, and in my senior year, he happened to walk into a room that I was studying with a friend, and he had coming back from a bible study Yeah. and I was astonished frankly and it it was, had to be the Holy Spirit that acted on him. And I had, I said when he walked in, he started talking about the Bible. I said, "You're a Christian." I was so astonished. <laughs> and he was yeah. ready to lay the gospel on me. You know, wow. I, he misunderstood what I was saying. But it is the power of the Spirit has to be what happens in these people's lives because it's not my brilliant eloquence that would affect them or anyone. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mike, that's a good microcosm. That's a good personal application of precisely what I want to share with y'all and what Paul is going to tell us in the first uh, 14 verses of Ephesians. I know sometimes it can be tough for us to keep straight. What does God do? How does Jesus fit into that? How does the Holy Spirit work? As we've been talking, I think we've begun to touch on some of that already, but I want you to think about it this way. One of my professors from grad school kind of developed this little formula, and I think it's helpful. He says, God saves us in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. God saves us in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can also have a little bit of variety in that too. God sanctifies us, that process of making us holy, right? God sanctifies us in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. God raises us to new life. In Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit you're beginning to see the common elements there God does what he's going to do in his sovereignty and his will and his power he does that as we are in Jesus Christ and that phrase in Jesus Christ is very important in Ephesians very important It means something like we are spiritually located in Christ it means something like we're under the direction of Christ. I hate to use this phrase, but I think it communicates we're under the influence of Christ. And the way that we the way that, that works is by the power of the Holy Spirit. God saves us in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. God sanctifies us in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. God raises us to new life in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God protects us in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope you begin to see that formula, and I hope that sticks with us as we go through the, our, next, our, our you know, next few weeks together. Because it's going to show up a lot. And I think that that, that really helps me understand, you know, how, how does this, this, you know, this being known as God, Father, Son, and Spirit, how does all that work together? that's one way to do it in Ephesians chapter 1 Paul opens up the letter in verses 1 and 2 like any other letter he describes himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ and tells us who the letters for and then in verses 3 through 14 which is what we're going to get to here in just a second Paul recounts God's redemptive acts for his people and he introduces some key themes that he's going to flesh out a little bit later in the rest of the letter, okay? All right, so after we read these verses, I think we should list, we're going to list what all Paul says God has done for us. Turn with me to Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3, okay? And I'll, I'll pull it up. I had that pulled up, but we spent a lot of time in Genesis, uh, thanks to uh, Ralph's uh, kind of quick run-through of the Holy Spirit through the Old Testament and New Testament. Let me pull Ephesians up real quick again. All right, here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love and the gospel of your salvation and believed in him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory now in the Greek that is one long sentence <laughs> got any English teachers in here anybody uh Particular Paul about grammar. Yeah. Yeah. In Greek, this is one long sentence. Thankfully, our Bible split that up for us a little bit. Alright. Let's look back at verse 3, starting in verse 3, all the way down. Call out some things. What does Paul say that God has done for us in Jesus? Blessed us in the
2: heavenly
0: realms. Blessed us in the heavenly realms. Blessed us with what particularly? Every spiritual blessing. That's incredibly important. We'll get to that later. Uh, Keep going. What else? Let's just roll through here. What has God done for us in Christ? He chose us before the creation. Chose us in Him before the creation. That's right. And
2: we read from Psalms 139 today.
0: Yeah. -hmm. That's
2: that's my favorite verse of the Bible.
0: Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Yes, sir. Yeah.
1: Took us under His wing, made us. His children?
0: Took us under his wing, made us his children. What particularly does he say there? How does he uh, how does he describe that? In um, verse 5. What's a word that the text uses there? Adoption. Adoption. That's right. And that's a special word there. Very, Very special word, yeah.
1: Yeah. Just like if you adopt a child, there are certain rights that child has, even more than your
0: natural born children. Yeah. Predestined. Predestined is a, a a heavy term with lots of baggage, which uh, we may be able to get to later, uh, later today, depending on the, if we don't get stormed out of here. <laughs> it's pretty gnarly. Uh, what else? What else?
1: Brought
0: unity. Brought unity. Brought unity. That's right. Made us. Uh, brought us all together. Anything? Let's keep going. There's plenty more. Plenty more. Verse seven. Take a look at verse seven. What do we have? Redemption. Redemption. Very good. And what else in verse seven? Give us- forgiveness of our sins that's right yeah very good um <clears throat> grace. Grace. grace yes very good lavished on us that's not just fine here take it it's i've got so much to give you it's like you know any one of those tv shows right families down and out you know the house got destroyed community comes together ty pennington comes along and says move that bus and they've got this massive mansion that much more than that um verse 11 verse 11 what else what do you see in verse 11 an inheritance inheritance, which directly relates to the adoption that we've received in verse 5 and then finally verse 13 what else do we see in verse 13 Marked in him. Yes, sir. He made known to the mystery of his will. Made known to us. Yeah. God has revealed something special to us in this. All right. And based on what I said just a minute ago, here's some things that we might want to think about. What does it mean? To be in Christ, based on what we saw here and what I've said earlier, what does it mean to be in Christ? We don't normally use that kind of language, and to avoid using church language, which people might not understand if they didn't grow up in church. What does it mean to be in Christ? It's
3: a way of life.
0: It is a way of life. Very good.
3: Do you
0: realize that He's in charge? He's in charge. In a family, I like that. Yeah.
1: Special standing.
0: special standing. Yeah, almost like a, almost like a legal standing. Sure, especially when we start talking about adoption. Yeah, right.
2: It, it, it's a discipleship. We are being trained to be like. Him.
0: Yeah. Very good.
2: Bought with a
0: price. Bought with a price, right? The the Christ that Christ the price which Christ himself paid. Yeah.
2: Some would say we're being called to be little gods.
0: Like him. Yeah, little Christ's. Um. This phrase in Christ shows up quite a bit. Take a look here. If you're in the habit of underlining and highlighting and things like that, this might be something worth, uh, worth noting in your Bibles. In Christ or in Him shows up in these verses verse 3, verse 4, verse 7, verse 9, verse 11. And verse 13, do you think that this concept of being in Christ might be important for what Paul is trying to tell us here? I think so. I think it's like uh, you would be in your family. Mm -hmm. You know, every day
1: or every hour, your children know that you're a part of their family. Yeah. You know, that
0: you're worshiped. When you're in a building, we think about that like a like a, a, a almost like in spatial terms right you're in something and it surrounds you you're in your car and it surrounds you you're in christ
1: but, but you can be in a building and not be part of it
0: very true in
1: this term it's it's a, it's a part of it it's yeah not a, it's not just
2: a, an encompassing thing
0: it's, that's right
2: it's a, 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 a union? member
1: of the organization
0: yeah you say a union yeah a loaded term (laughs) yeah no i know what you mean i know what you mean mark like-minded very true yeah paul oh goodness paul really leans heavily in that in philippians which if you can make it on uh wednesday nights in person i'm teaching on philippians in here we have a good time and if Uh,
1: we're bought that means we're possessed
0: possessed in the sense of owned yeah yes Yes. yeah very true rory i kind of think if i kind of think that maybe it might be both and that we could be in Christ, meaning that, you know, we're within that realm, but we're also a part of it. Yeah. Or at least we should be. Yeah. Ron, were you going to say something? Okay. But
2: it also implies some sense of protection.
0: Sense of protection. Very true. Yeah.
2: We're under his, we have given over, but by allowing him to take us in, we have given him the power to change and protect us.
0: Yeah. Very good. Very good. Another way to think about this is... A by comparing it with a phrase that the Gospels use quite a bit. The Gospels describe God's reign, God's rule, as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. I think for Paul, when Paul uses the phrase in Christ, I think that what Paul often means is what the Gospels mean when they talk about the kingdom of God. It's somewhere where you are in some spiritual sense, right? You're spiritually located in this place that is totally encompassing. It's protective. You're part of a family. I think that when when we read the Gospels and we hear Jesus talk about how the kingdom of God has come and what the kingdom of God looks like, the very things that Paul describes, the kind of life that we live in Christ, the kind of behavior we have in Christ kind of protection we experience the kind of blessings we receive and then in Jesus' name give out to others in Christ I think there's a lot of overlap there I think there's a lot of overlap there all right now take a look at verses 5 and 11 I figure this might come up didn't want to just throw this out there and not mention it even though I know we don't have time to go over all of this today Take a look at verses five and eleven. Is there a common word in verses five through eleven? Or five and eleven? Predestined. Predestined. Does anybody get a little antsy when they hear that term? <laughs> Sometimes people get a little get a little jumpy about that.
3: But there's a, there is something that's going on with
0: predestined. There is Gene, you're not wrong there. You're not wrong.
3: Because predestination doesn't mean God has
0: already um, uh, we're
3: getting a message somewhere <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, he G- hasn't already been, uh, told
0: himself that we're going to be saved I th- Gene I, I, I know what you're getting at there and uh, for those who are listening to our recording later um, here as we're talking about predestination the lights keep flickering off and on and um, I will take that as a sign that we won't belabor this point. Okay. <laughs> there, this is this is a, a huge, huge issue that in the nine minutes I have left, I'm not going to be able to cover. I'll tell you what I think, and then as it may come up later, we can uh, you know, we can talk about it at some point in more detail. But the question for a lot of people is when the New Testament talks about pre. People who are predestined, or another way you could say that is people who are foreordained to, you know, you know, to, to whatever it is that God predestines them. The question is, for a lot of people, does that mean that God makes some to be saved and God makes others to be condemned as if they had no free will? I think for most of us here... In, uh, not just at King's Crossing, but most people in churches of Christ have understood it this way, that when, the, when Paul talks about how we are predestined in Christ or foreordained in Christ, I think what Paul means there is that for anyone who is in Christ, that group of people who are in Christ, those people have been predestined to experience these blessings now, I don't think that has to mean that God has decided that seventy-three percent of y'all are saved, and the other percentage—I'm not very good at math—that's why I'm doing this—that the other percentage of y'all are condemned. If that were the case, I would tell you that every single one of Paul's letters and every single ethical teaching of Jesus—I don't think it would make sense, because. Paul speaks to us in a way, in this letter particularly, but in all of his letters and in all of Jesus' teachings and everywhere else in the Bible, it talks talks to us in a way as if we had some freedom to choose to obey or disobey. And I just don't think it makes any sense otherwise if we read it as if God is the kind god exercises the kind of authority where he is a great cosmic puppet master blaming people for the things that he made them do that's a short quick take on it but i do want us to move on the main point when we see something like predestined uh gene let me let me roll through this here if you you don't mind when we see this kind of language of predestined we have to affirm that, yes, the Bible does talk about this. Paul doesn't shy away from this. Pharisees recognized that God did foreordain that whoever is faithful to him will be saved. But Pharisees also recognized, and this is not not just Pharisees who came to believe in Jesus, but this is Pharisees who did not accept Jesus, those Pharisees recognized, yes, God does predestine that those who are faithful to God will experience the resurrection in the the end. But Pharisees also recognized that you had some freedom to choose to obey or disobey. And it makes perfect sense then that we see language of both, we see a tension with both in Paul's letters. Because Paul was a Pharisee and he didn't just throw all of that out. When he, became a Christ, when he became a Christian, what he did was what, what Christ taught him that transformed what needed to be transformed of his former way of life, but so much of what he speaks of in his letters were things that he had already learned in some way when he was a Pharisee. Take a look at verse 11 now. Verse 11. I would say that It's a bummer that the power went out because the air conditioning is gone. But to be honest, I don't think the air conditioning was on when we got in here. (laughs) It was was gone before that. Um, I'll tell you what, uh, could we open the doors that might uh, cool things off a little bit? Um, right. take a look at verse 11. What is the inheritance that believers have obtained? What's the inheritance believers have obtained?
3: Hope for salvation.
0: Hope for salvation, and that hope is hope is a confident expectation.
3: Heavenly
0: kingdom. Heavenly kingdom. We're in that heavenly kingdom. Yeah.
3: If we live the way God wants us to live, the best we can, I expect God to save me. I mean, I really do. Now, I'm not saying He will because I may not be living what. My concept of doing His will is. Yeah. There's also a benefit right here and now, living
1: according to His will. Very true. We're not just waiting for a time to get that blessing later. Even if there wasn't a heaven, this is still the best way to live on this earth. Yeah. As a human being, got to have a lot of this pain and suffering that people in
0: the world do have. That's right. Mike, I like that point there, and that really rolls us into where we're going to wrap up which is verses 13 and 14. So again, there's this language in verse 13, in him, meaning in Christ, right? Under his direction, under his sphere of influence, in Christ, and Paul starts addressing the uh, Ephesians here. He says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, which brings about your salvation, when you heard that and when you believed, that word believed too, doesn't just mean that you mentally agree to something. A lot of times when the New Testament, particularly in Paul's letters, when he uses the word like believe or a word like faith, a lot of times what Paul means there is something like faithful. You're faithful to that. Another way to do that would be, another way to translate that would be something like fidelity. I've used this example in a number of classes before. It's one thing to believe you are married. It's another thing to act like it, right? Fidelity is the issue, right? It's not just, oh yeah, I'm married, got the paper, got the, got the jewelry to prove it. No, no, no. There's much more than that. It's to live like that, to be faithful to that. That's what Paul envisions here a lot of times when he says faith. This gospel, and you believed in him, meaning that you became faithful to him, and you were sealed with what at the end of verse 13? What were you sealed with? Holy Spirit, what does the seal mean? What does that mean? What does that indicate? It is a legal term. It's
2: a legal term. It's a seal.
0: It's a It's a guarantee. It's
3: safety. You seal something, a bottle or a jar or something, it's safety. You're protected.
0: Also the end of the matter. Also an end of the matter and an indication of ownership. Yeah, it's a warning. Yeah indication of ownership. Yeah, Mark.
1: On some seals, um, they aren't to be broken until a certain time. As well.
0: That's right. Paul plays with a lot of these images here, and we'll wrap up with this, because Mike, you were exactly right a moment ago. That we have the Holy Spirit now, which is an indication of the Full measure of blessings to come in the new heaven and new earth. We have a taste of that now. We will get more, far abundantly more, when Christ returns. And so the bottom line is this I'll wrap up with this and then here's how we'll close. Paul is writing to one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. You can learn a little bit more about the city of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, a city that had pagan idols everywhere, a city where there was a giant riot, where thousands of people were upset about this message that Paul was preaching, because a lot of people were attracted to the message Paul was preaching. For believers in Jesus, in a polytheistic city like Ephesus, with all of its, you know, all the things that uh, attended, polytheism and paganism all the debauchery all the immorality all the hedonism for these believers in jesus in a polytheistic place like ephesus they don't have anything to fear because of the extraordinary power and the immeasurable blessings that god has given them already in christ they don't have anything to fear The Christian life is so much more than just, I hope I can cuss a little less. Or waiting for it to get better. Or I'm just going to sit on my hands and go to heaven someday. The Christian life is a life filled with spiritual, meaning holy spiritual, power for transformation. And God has given us everything we need now. And that includes each and every brother and sister in this room, in this church, and every brother and sister in the world. Guys, thank y'all so much. Y'all have a good time. Go grab your families. Uh, Be drive safe. (laughs) We'll see you later.